Well, hello everyone and welcome back to another podcast here at City Hope Church. This is officially the second episode, week two of our small group series. We're currently going through a book called Kingdom Vision. This will be page 25 through 46. Yes. Yeah, so this is part two of The Way of Vision, which is the first section of the book. So Again, it's broken up into two parts, the way of Jesus and the renewal of the city. And currently we're on uh, in part A, which is the way of Jesus in the first chapter, and that is the way of vision. And this is the part two of that. So you can go back and listen to the first one if you've not yet done so. So we wrapped up, Clay, last week in really talking about the kingdom of the world, how it was built around uh, really just pure evil and selfishness and choosing um, basically individually making decisions based on self-interest at the cost of others and how um, really that just obviously does not align with the kingdom of God. And so we're going to kick off first and foremost with the kingdom of God. And and right here in the get-go, what we realize is that God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's completely different. Yeah. It's built upon love. It's built upon service. Um it's not selfish. It's not envious. Um, it's it's completely different than the way of selfishness. Yeah, I love that phrase, the upside down kingdom, because when Jesus comes in, that's that's exactly what he brings. All of his disciples didn't fully understand because they expected that he would come in and overthrow kingdoms, that he would raise up an army, that he would defeat the Roman Empire. But instead, he brings in self-sacrificial service and love. And if you're right. looking at him, you're thinking, man, that's not going to do anything. We got we got some battles to win, dude. We're under oppression. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his upside-down kingdom was not just going to defeat um, natural armies. He was there to defeat the powers of darkness. And so he threw everything up on its head. And uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, that's why he would say, blessed are the poor in spirit, not not the rich and the powerful, uh, but the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, those who hunger for righteousness and those who seek peace, and even those who will actually be persecuted mm. because they stand up for my righteousness and, and, and my kingdom. And so he flips everything up on its head, but he gives a vision of the kingdom in preaching the Sermon on the Mount and then demonstrating a completely different lifestyle. And it says, you know, on page 25 at the bottom, he says, I want the world's attention, the kingdom of mercy and humility and goodness and love and submission is at hand. And it's breaking into the kingdom of Satan, into the kingdom of self. And so he comes and he says, I want you to lay down the kingdom of self, deny yourself, move out of the kingdom of darkness and move radically into a way of self-sacrificial love and service in order to advance the kingdom of God. Get a different mindset and a different vision for life and what actually matters. Instead of pursuing riches and fame, pursue humility and meekness and gentleness and peace and love and being poor in spirit. And yours will be the kingdom of heaven. You'll find something greater. You'll find riches that are greater than what this world is telling you to pursue. And it's, uh, it's it's very interesting. I, I was watching something yesterday about um, just just like messing around. Andrea was checking something out on TV, and it was really weird. But it was back in the early 2000s, you know, just these people that lived in Hollywood that were doing anything they could 
to get money to get wealth and so they started robbing these people just so they could get like gucci purses and and all because because that was what life was about yeah it was about this this exterior where you were on social media looking like you had wealth fame etc and and you know maybe we don't do it like that but in certain ways man we're still we're still consumed by that mentality and little little secret ways even as christians and and jesus is trying to say no there's greater riches yeah and it's 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 about a it's about the condition of your heart the purity of your heart your desire for for love for mercy and that's what begins to advance the kingdom and it says that it's not just a possibility like if you want the kingdom it's it's going to come no it's it's that this kingdom is here the kingdom of God is breaking in, and Jesus says, I'm going to destroy sin, Satan, death, and hell. You can live in the way of the world if you want, but ultimately that will lead to death. And I have an announcement that the kingdom of God is advancing in the world, and he invites all who hear to respond with repentance. Yeah, and that's really what we're presented with. It's the, the, the Christian message. It's all about that. Really, there's, there's two ways to live. Mm-hmm. That's what he says here, too. Um, basically we can choose the way of self or the way of love. And I think what's really cool and interesting about what you were saying is, again, going back to that upside-down kingdom thing, is that it's it, it's like we think that, like naturally the self tells us that by getting the things, the status, the power, the money, the job, whatever it is, like that's, that's what's going to fulfill us. Right. But contrary to that or upside down to that is is actually what we've what we've always wanted deep down is this way of jesus it just looks completely different than how we expect it yes and satan is deceptive and he convinces you that there's an alternate path to get what you desire yeah jesus says that those who are first shall be last and those who are last shall be first he flips it on its head he says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah. Well, we believe absolutely in the world system. No, no, no. It, not only is it more blessed to receive, but it's more blessed to take and get mm. and fight and be successful yeah. so that you can get as much of it as you possibly can. Because, I mean, ultimately, you know, my dad and I joke around a lot, but there's a guy that you, every time you get around him, he'd say, can't never get enough money in this life. Can't never get enough money in this life. And, and that's like his, that's his motto, man. That's what he yeah. lives by. Well, you know, Jesus says the opposite. He yeah. says that if you spend your time storing up for yourself treasures here on earth, that you're going to lose it all. Yeah. And instead, you should you should you know store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Yeah. Because those are something that's eternal. And uh, but there's a he, he he does he he just he twists everything and moves it around, and he says you know repent. And we talked about this last week. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And like we said, and it even says it in the book, and I hadn't read it yet, but I mentioned it. But you, it does conjure up images of street pe- preachers mm-hmm. yelling, you know, God yeah. hates these people. You need to repent. And, you know, repentance, absolutely, there is an aspect of, hey, these behaviors are sinful behaviors. You mm-hmm. must turn from them. Yeah. Like if you've read the Bible, that's abundantly clear. Yeah. It's funny to me, people, people who say, well, I'm just not, you know, uh, sure you just seem so sometimes your preaching's harsh or man that's strong well what i want to say to you is clearly you've not read the new testament yeah. because you cannot read an individual book in the new testament where it doesn't confront these things far stronger yeah. than i do oh, every yeah. time that i preach for sure the word of god itself is stronger than what i preach i can promise you that um it, but but the point the point is 
and I do try to preach the word of God. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just you you you're not going to go to the to the scripture and just find like little fluffy pithy sayings like that are just oh we I love you and be encouraged today. It, that's yeah. not what you're going to find. None of that brings about change. It either, doesn't. Man. It doesn't. It doesn't penetrate the depths of our sin sick soul that is bent by the demonic and the darkness in our world. And so we need a word that cuts like a sword. Yeah. But and it does hurt when you first hear it. But it's healing. And when you when you finally are able to lay down some of these sinful activities and these sinful mindsets, then I, and your heart begins to be pure. Well, guess what? Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? They shall see God. Yeah. And if you see God and you're free from the defilements and the distractions and the and the darkness of this world and you see God, you find every single thing that you've been longing for and a and a and it's like a switch just turns on the light, turns on and you're like, What have I been chasing? Mm. This is what I've always longed for. But you have to be willing to embrace that upside down kingdom in order to say, even though this feels good and this is pleasurable to me, God says it's not for me, it's sinful, so I'm laying it down. Yeah. And when you do, you start you start to experience uh, this goodness of God's kingdom. And so repentance, you know, is a total change of mind leading to a total change of mind uh, of life. And he's saying, repent, change the way you think, change the way you see the world, embrace this new idea, this new vision of the kingdom. Because this kingdom is within your reach. It's right here at hand. It's available to you now. Not just a place you go where it, when you die, but it's something that you can mm. begin to live in now. And through the Spirit of God, you can begin to experience the benefits, the, the life of the kingdom of God on the inside of you. And this inbreaking of the kingdom, it's a threat to evil. But it's it's a welcome announcement for people who realize, man, I'm trapped in the tyranny and bondage of this world. I, yeah. th- I think... You said something again, not to interrupt you, but... No, you're good. A couple of days ago, you said something, and this just came to my mind, like there was a meme you saw, because we, we hear about people all the time. People are in bondage, man, to the tyranny of this world, and one of the big indicators of it is is that we're constantly fear-ridden and and guilt-ridden and shame-ridden, and, and anxiety just consumes us. Yeah. But here's the thing. You know, you saw a meme about a girl like, "Oh, I'm just, I'm just dealing, I'm just dealing with anxiety so bad right now. My mental health's all, all messed up." And then, meanwhile, she's sitting yeah. here watching or listening to true crime episode or whatever it is, yeah, like it these, like, like yeah. these serial killer yeah. things. Yeah, at the same time, listening to podcasts on true crime and like watching Ted Bundy series on Netflix or whatever. And here's you know? the thing: nobody wants to hear this, but if you spend your life consuming the things that pertain to the kingdom of darkness. You cannot expect to have the mind and the peace that comes from the kingdom of God. Yeah, it, they don't go together. They do not. You Light and darkness do not mix. So, you know, if you're consistently watching television, television shows that exalt demonic behavior, that exalt sexual uh, behavior that is that is apart from God, that exalts just filthiness, foul language, etc., violence, hatred, anger, all those things, and that's what you consume, and you're not in the Scripture. You know, it doesn't surprise me when you don't have any peace. Yeah. What do you expect? Yes. Yeah. Are you going to walk in the vision of, of God, the way of the kingdom, or are you going to choose to just saturate yourself with the things of this world and hope that, you know, going to church on Sundays will, will cross it off? You yeah. may get to heaven when you die. I mean, that's on the Lord, you know, as far as all that goes. But but the point is, we want to live in the kingdom now. Yeah. And the pure in heart see God. 
it's honestly like a slap in the face to the Lord. Like we, we come in, it's like we want to go to church. Yeah, we like the idea of, oh, Jesus died for us so we could go to heaven. That's great. But we have all this pleasure that we really enjoy, and we just want to mold Jesus to fit that lifestyle of ours. And it's just like complete. Um, and, and, and all the while he's saying, no, I've got a way of life to where if you could just hear this and like repent of some things, turn from things, what you've always wanted, like you want to walk in peace, you want to walk in love, you want to yeah. walk in, 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 in purpose, like you, you want these things, that's the life that I'm offering you. Yeah. It really is. But you can't have that while also entertaining evil. Yes. <laughs> you know. Hey, let me read something. I, I'm, I'm, we're drifting. We always do this when we do yeah. these podcasts. We set out to do 30 minutes, y'all. <laughs> but once we get started, like things come to our minds. And uh, a, a friend sent me this. We were talking about just the, the, the way of our culture, the church at large, and how really when it comes to a lot of issues, the church just prefers to bury its head in the sand at this particular time and yeah. not be confrontational. Don't offend anybody. So Jeremy Riddle, he's a worship leader. Um, he wrote this, though, and I really liked what he said. He said, I find myself increasingly troubled when I look at Western Christian culture and see such a startling lack of representation or instruction on vital teachings in Scripture, particularly the passage that warn and admonish. It troubles me that teachings on these passages are virtually non-existent in modern preaching. But if I sit down and just read a couple chapters of Scripture, they're so prevalent that I cannot escape them. And no, I'm not talking about the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. I'm talking about the teachings of Jesus, His apostles, Peter, James, John, Paul, those guys. So much heresy is running rampant in the church because we're not clearly preaching the reality of eternal judgment the reality of heaven and hell, or the frequent commands concerning holiness, godliness, purity, and true Jesus apprenticeship. I don't know quite how we got here, but somehow we've created Christian cultures that edit scriptures, remove the gravity of his holy commandments, and numb people's ears to real truth. Mm. And that's a fact. That's what, that's where we're at as a church. And so it's almost like I feel this sense you know, I always hear these voices and even people that, that speak to me, it's like, well, Clay, you just, you know, I just want to hear something encouraging. I just want to hear something encouraging. Well, here's the thing. If you're not living close to Jesus and you're not pursuing holiness in your own life, you may not need to hear something encouraging. You, uh, Based on Scripture, you may need to hear something that breaks you, that brings you to this initial place of repentance because the only way into the kingdom of God comes through repentance and faith. Mm-hmm. Turning to Jesus, believing in Him, and believing in Him means that you pledge your allegiance to Him. It means you're laying down your own kingdom, you're laying down your own self, and you're saying, I, it's, it's not it's not an intellectual belief. It's an allegiance to a king. Mm, and, that's good. And, and so it's not, oh, yeah, I believe that. I believe that set of doctrines. Yeah. No, for them, the, the language was the same language a king would call. He would say, repent and put your faith. The word, Greek word is pistis. There were kings that said that same thing to their soldiers. Turn and follow me and give me your allegiance. Yeah. Jesus is asking not just so that, please believe this so I can save you. No, he's saying, I need your allegiance. You yeah. need to live out my kingdom. Uh, we, we need to walk in this. So so that's the announcement. 
And just for the sake of moving on, he, he talks about his vision of discipleship, which kind of breaks down into three parts there, yeah. intimacy, transformation, and commission. Yeah. He talks about on page 29. Yeah, it's all really good stuff. And that's, you know, like you were saying too, this, um, there's a word here called eucatastrophe, uh, mm-hmm. which is what's, which he talks about, which is basically like a, a positive catastrophe. It's like a good, yes. it's like good news that shows up in the story when you least expect it. And you know, when you say, I think when people say they want to hear an encouraging message, it's almost like, I want you to tell, tell me something, pastor, that like confirms, makes me feel good makes me feel about good the life I'm currently about living, the, about the sin I'm in. Yes. <laughs> Kind of thing. Well, and, and and here's the thing, and I I hate to get this way, but this is just where we're at in culture. But but Paul tells Timothy, he says, "Look, man, he says, preach the word, be instant in season yeah. and out of season, rebuke, exo-, he says, rebuke, correct, exhort." There's some there's encouragement there as well, yeah. but it's toward the things yeah. of God, the encouragement. And then he says, because the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching and sound doctrine, yeah. but they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears that will basically just tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. And if you read about false teachers in Scripture, it's always that they uh, allure people because they enable them to go after the things of the flesh and their own sensuality and their own sexual desires. They empower them to do that while still feeling good about it. If that's not the life that we're in right now, then I don't know what is. But, But for those who realize their condition and realize that, hey, this way of selfishness and flesh is leading to absolute destruction in my life. It is you catastrophe. It's this, yes. it's this, it is good. When you hear that, when you hear a word that penetrates your, your heart and it's like, man, there's another way to live versus what I've been doing. It's good news. It's this message that Jesus is here. The kingdom of heaven is here that he lived a victorious life he died for you and now he's going to and he invites us and that's what you got into right there he invites us into discipleship which is it's it's not just a watch from the sidelines learn some teaching type of thing it's a it's an invitation to follow his footsteps and live the way he lived it's about like it's you know complete in the first one there intimacy it's about being close to him and in relationship with him, the God of the universe. Mm-hmm. It, it's mind blowing, really, and that's what he invites us into. There, um, it, it's an invitation to follow him and do the things right. that he's doing. And that, and that's the thing. So, you, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you learn to follow the way of Jesus. And one of those, one of those principles is intimacy with the Father. And so Jesus says, come and follow me that they might be with him to, mm-hmm. to spend. Literally, it talks about how to be an apprentice or a disciple of Jesus, that you wanted the dust of his feet on you. Like, mm. like you wanted to follow so close in his footsteps that you wanted to become just like him. But so such an essential part of that is we've talked about the secret place. Yeah. You know, we preached about the secret place. Jesus taught his disciples how to be in the secret place with the Father in personal intimacy. For me... You talk about that catastrophe. See, I started with intimacy with God. I got in the scriptures. I was spending alone time with God. I was learning to pray. And in the middle of that, I'm wrestling with my old way of life, Mm -hmm. my sinful habits that I don't want to give up, that I think it's impossible to give them up. 
yeah. that I can't live without them. But in the middle of that intimacy, I'm finding supernatural power until all of a sudden there's a moment, a catastrophe, where the goodness of God breaks in and it simultaneously reveals all of my darkness, turns my world upside down, destroys everything. And yeah. it feels like one, it's terrible and beautiful yeah. all at the same time. Yeah. Because it kills me, but it resurrects the new me. And the other end of that, see, it, it hurts in that initial death because you don't want to give up your old way of life because you, you're holding on to it. You're in bondage to it. Yeah. But when you finally let go, it's the most freeing thing. Jesus even said, if you will lose your life for my sake and the kingdom's sake, you will find it. Mm. But if you hold on to it, eventually you will lose it. And so that's what he's bringing us into, that kind of intimacy where we spend time with him and in that place, guess what happens? There's supernatural empowerment of the Spirit that actually transforms who you are into the very image of Jesus. And you find yourself supernaturally enabled to do what you could not do before out of intimacy with Jesus. Yeah. I want to read this section here real quick on page 30. It says, Christianity isn't about a distant religion or a series of biblical practices and laws. Becoming a Christian is fundamentally about knowing Jesus and being with him every day of your life. Yes. It's about letting him lead you through each day and each season. This way of life is fundamentally different because you are never alone. Where is he going to take you? What he what will he invite you to do with him? And mm-hmm. so, yeah, again, it's a beautiful thing. So we're invited into that intimacy, living every day with him, going to that quiet place. Uh, it's also about transformation. Um, like we've already said, it's not just about knowledge acquisition, but it's about true transformation. Um, it wasn't just about agreeing intellectually with Jesus. It was about this expectation to take action and mm-hmm. to actually follow him and be transformed. And then when we're doing that, we lead into the final part of discipleship there. He talks about which is commission. Uh, and he makes us fishers of men. Yeah. And and again, one of the things that he's talking about, and here this is the beauty of of the call of Jesus, you know. So my my transformation took place. It began with misery, my misery, my own like, okay, if this is all there is to life, like I've I've tried all the pleasures, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? I've got drunk, I've got high, I've had sex, I've like I've I've dabbled in this. I could probably figure out a way to make pretty good money, but even money doesn't make me happy now. Like, I've tested all that stuff, and it it seems to be found wanting. So I'm looking for truth. I start reading the Bible, but the first thing that the Bible confronts is my lifestyle. Yeah. And and my sinful patterns of behavior and says, you've got to turn from this. You've got to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You've got to start thinking differently. Yeah. Well, for me, that was a, a year of wrestling and, like, struggling with, I don't know if I want to do this or not, until finally I have this encounter with Jesus because of seeking him and believing that I will find him in where in which transformation comes. All I wanted to do really was to get free from sin and know God because I wanted to go to heaven and and, and all and I wanted to find life. I wanted yeah. to find purpose. I wanted to find true meaning. Well I found it in him, but as soon as I found it, I was immediately commissioned. I, I never dreamt I'd be a pastor, a teacher of the Bible. Never in a million years up to that point did I dream it. But in that same moment that he set me free was the same moment that I knew I was being commissioned. Yeah. And and the big the big thing about this commission is is if you seek Jesus, 
here's the thing. He chooses ordinary people. Mm, that's good. He's a fisher. He's a fisher of men, and they philosophers and and teachers of that time used that because they used it as a euphemism, which meant they captured the minds of people through persuasion. But but he's not just simply trying to capture their minds. He he wants to he wants to transform their hearts. But the way that he did so, if you if you even remember, he makes his disciples. Uh, he teaches them they're being changed, but then he says, "Hey guys, don't go out and do what I've called you to do until you're endued with power from on high." What empowered them to be able to fulfill the great commission was the Spirit of God that was poured out in Acts chapter two. And for me, the Spirit of God that was poured out in me set me free from the power of sin, while simultaneously enabling enabled me to preach and proclaim the good news of what Jesus had done yes. in my life. I did not want to do that on my own accord. Mm-hmm. I wasn't interested in telling people about Jesus. But when you've got an intimacy with God and he pours his spirit out into your heart and continues to pour it out, like there, there's a compelling mm-hmm. of love in your heart. Like you are compelled by love, by the power of the spirit to go out and proclaim this gospel and this good news in this kingdom. And you're calling people to repentance. Yes, but man, it's a beautiful repentance. It's yeah. not a bad thing. It's a positive thing. Yeah, I, I, and I, I guess just people have, you know, Christians in the past maybe or whatever, you know, have been mean or rude mm-hmm. or, or whatever, and that just it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. But, you know, and that's, I mean, we, obviously, we, we want to speak the truth and we want to speak the Bible, but it's not because we're mad. Mm-hmm. At any, it, I mean, it's because that Jesus offers, again, he, he offers a transformative life and repentance is part of it. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, that... Um, it's not you know we never want to be mean or like no. you know out of anger towards a person which sometimes you see that and you know if you've experienced that I'm sorry but the the, the reality of what Jesus offers he, he yeah he does confront that he says repent but it's out of love yeah it's not out of a place of anger and he confronts it in us first and foremost yeah you know it's some it's something that he confronts in our own hearts and the thing that he gets most aggravated at is is when when people teach a way that is a false way, you know, that's, that's the thing that's most, you don't see him mad at people struggling with sin or mad at the prostitutes. What you would see is he would be mad at the person who either condemns, condemns them and shuts them from coming to God or either teaches them a doctrine that enables them to stay in what they're currently living in. Right. Those are the two things that he gets the most mad at. The person who's in sin, he's not he's not angry at them in that sense. He's he's welcoming them in, he's welcoming them in yeah. and saying, "I've died for this. Yeah. I can offer you a new way of life." That's why he he forgives the woman caught in adultery and when she looks up at him, he says, "Does no man condemn you?" She said, "No man, Lord." He said, "Neither do I condemn you." Now, go and sin no more yes and he offers her the power in the spirit to go and live a different lifestyle because he's paid for her forgiveness he's dealt with that sin on the cross and now he's saying the kingdom is here you've seen me you can walk with me you can follow me now yeah it's a beautiful thing yes and, I, and to back up what you said too there it's not uh, you know he calls every one of us it's not on our own skills that makes us fishers of men. It's not by what we can do, but it's with it's it's about intimacy with Jesus. That's what empowers us. Yeah, uh, which is amazing. Yeah, and let me let me say this. Uh, it talks about page on page thirty four. Um, 
you know, it talks about the Great Commission when he, he commissions his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And, and he does this, and, and, and it says that uh, the first disciples were meant to not only communicate the good news of Jesus, but to embody it so completely that they produce multiplying disciples. Now, let mm-hmm. me say this about small groups, since this is small group. You know, when, when, when uh, Donald, my pastor here at City of Hope Church, first started, he did something called cell groups. And, of course, when I first heard that, I was like, I thought of a jail cell. I was like, does that mean y'all like getting a cell, you know? And like, I didn't understand what he said. But then, of course, it's a biological term because cells divide and multiply. Mm. And that's why they call them cell groups. So the idea was is that you'd actually start a small group with a low number of people, you know, 3 to 12 at the most, with the purpose of multiplying. So if a small group leader was in place, what they would do is they would try to raise up a leader. That small group would divide at least once, and then that leader, each of those leaders would raise up more leaders, and then that small group would divide and multiply. So what small groups have become, and here's the thing with with us as a church, is we've made small groups more tailored to here in the beginning stages of getting people involved in community getting people to know one another. That's a big aspect of it. But where you want to grow in the direction of, and we even have huge groups because we don't have a lot of people that that want to lead. But your groups don't need to be having 20 people, really. What they need to be doing is is dividing, and, and you want leaders who are thinking in terms of, I'm becoming a disciple, but I'm making another disciple. Mm-hmm. So if I lead this group and I'm making disciples out of this group, I will eventually raise somebody up who can do the exact same thing. And the idea is that you would rather have a small group that just has three or four people, and you try to grow it to 12 or 15 over the course of a semester, raise up a leader who can take half of them and then grow that group and then divide again so that was jesus could have passed out pamphlets all over the world but instead he chose to disciple 12 men and then at his death send those 12 men out who could disciple 12 more men send those 12 men out who could disciple 12 more men and it's the law of multiplication yeah and and so that's what in discipleship we're we're actually looking looking to do we want to multiply disciples Mm -hmm. and it's a it's a funny thing because i think sometimes in our church world what we want as people is is we just want our we want our church i want to go to church with the people i know and in the comfort that i'm in and i want to be fed well guess what what does god want god wants you to become a disciple who makes disciples of other people to the point that we multiply so much that we have no other choice but to actually send people out of this church and go plant churches in other places. Mm. I mean, that's what God wants. Yeah, He doesn't just want a church to stay in a place for 75 years and be this, running the same amount of people, never making disciples, and people just come to church and hear a message. And No, people that are listening to this podcast right now guess what god wants you to be in ministry he wants you to become such a disciple that the people you hang out with become disciples yeah and churches are planted because of your life and things expand and grow now i get that we don't always do that but that doesn't change the standard of what god calls us to in ministry he wants us to spread yeah we have to talk about it i mean because that's that's where that what if that's what god wants for us that's the direction we need to be moving obviously um. All righty, Clay. Have I went off, Jeremy? No, it's great. We're running; it's right on track. Praise the Lamb. Um. 
So, yeah, to back up what you say, um, he says here, at the bottom of page 35, don't buy into the lie that if you become a committed Christian, you're going to become um, unsophisticated, anti-intellectual, or that your life will be limited, restricting, and all about what you can't do. So we a lot of, a lot of us we we buy this lie that it's um that it's going to hold us back if you will that yeah. we we just you know we have to do our own thing but it it actually for for the disciples it expanded their territory it wasn't just yes. about like he says here it's not just about um, Galilee but it became the world to them now yeah and so so there's so many possibilities for your life and what Jesus wants to do for you uh, so don't be afraid to become a fully committed follower of Jesus to be a disciple of Jesus because it's who knows what God wants for you and for your life and what he wants to do uh, in, in terms of using you and that's I mean that's that's a that's a powerful thing um, yeah uh, there, it says on page 36 there's a good quote here Charles Spurgeon when Christ calls us by his grace we ought not only to remember what we are but we ought also to think of what he can make us it did not seem a likely thing that lowly fishermen would develop into apostles, that men so handy with a net would be quite as much at home in preaching sermons and in instructing converts. One would have said, how can these things be? You cannot make founders of churches out of peasants of Galilee. That is exactly what Christ did. And when we are brought low in the sight of God by a sense of our own unworthiness, we may feel encouraged to follow Jesus because of what he can make us. O oh, you who see in yourselves at present nothing that is desirable, come you and follow Christ for the sake of what he can make out of you. And that mm-hmm. right there is what it's all about. Jesus can yeah. take the greatest sinner, the most broken, the anything, the, the most uneducated, whatever you think you are, he can take you and make you into something that you never imagined because it is not based on your own, uh, in, you know, your own intellectual uh, abilities or skills or merit or, or your own personal m- morality like he takes people who don't have any of those things mm-hmm. he transforms them so he gets the glory and then he uses you to do something that you never imagined and he expands your horizons yeah. and for so many people they think no well I'm going to be limited in my life this is about all we'll ever do I think that about this church all the time and what God's called us to it's like I, pu- I put limitations on it God doesn't God never says this is all you'll ever be yeah. But but I'm the one that says, well, this is all we'll ever be able to do. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's me. So, when, But when God speaks, man, he starts to plant stuff into your heart that really it takes your breath away when you catch glimpses of it. Yeah. And it takes faith to start to step into it and say, you know what? That's right. God could actually do something beyond my ability to ask or even think according mm-hmm. to the power that works within me. And so... I think I think we can maybe move into the place there this this back section here but uh but God's just asking you to live in radical obedience and and experience yeah unimaginable plans that he may have for your life. And one thing I'd say just really quickly it is is don't put this off as he says here at the last of the chapter, you know, don't negotiate your obedience or put off this decision for another day or another year. You know, when we started this conversation Last week it was it was about you know there, there's a lot of us who realize that we ought to be living a certain way but we're not doing it and there's this gap there and we become frustrated and we become you know we're just not living the life we know we're meant to live so so don't put that off any longer you know 
um, Mark gives special attention to the obedience of the gospel throughout Scripture, and he talk, you know, uses words like immediately they 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 left mm-hmm. or, or followed Jesus or straight away, mm-hmm. and so this radical type of obedience leads to power and leads to blessing. So don't keep putting it off. Yeah. Um, you know, God's got so many so many wonderful plans for you, um, and 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 for your life, and He's offering this way of life. Don't keep putting it off. Accept that invitation, and immediately follow him yeah yeah and i think i think that's a big thing today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts hebrews three fifteen, and that's what it'll say in this back section here as we close out this chapter learning to listen on page 39 because there's there's moments if you read through this kairos moments yeah. so in the greek language chronos is like a timeline it's just time that runs you know on a linear, linear scale yeah and and we have you know 24 hours in the day, chronos time. But then there's kairos time where all of a sudden God breaks in and there's a moment that literally marks it as before this and after this. Mm. That moment marks you when God breaks through. And you have those moments in your life where things change. And when that happens, they actually have a a learning circle of like you you begin to observe what what is God saying and, and, and you reflect on 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 that and you say holy spirit what are you trying to say specifically to me and you 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 discover that by repenting and leaning in and then once you've repented and you said okay god i hear you speaking to me i understand what you're saying yeah and then you put immediate action and obedience on that well you draw up a plan uh how can i continue to do what god's asking me to do and what do i need to change uh in order to move in this direction and then it talks about getting accountability and, and sharing this with people and, 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 and then acting on what the Spirit wants you to do. So you can read through that yourself and, and consider, sit down, take some time to listen about what God's saying. But, you yeah. know, Jeremy, I, I said um, the other day, and I, I want to share this quickly so we can in the in the podcast, but, um, you know, just through this time of prayer and fasting, I shared it with probably a few people, but I went through this process because I felt like I had a Kairos moment with God, like where the Holy Spirit just broke in and challenged me on some of my my thinking and some of the limitations that I put on myself and that I put on our church. And the Lord really spoke to me. And there's there's been the there's been these moments, you know, and and I take uh, I believe in I believe in prophecy and the New Testament teaches that that again prophecy is is not something uh, that is that stands on the level of biblical authority in the New Testament right scripture the Bible is the it, it is primary in prophetic revelation and it is the standard by which we judge all other things mm-hmm. and no prophetic word that we could ever give is to stand on that same authority of Scripture. Matter of fact, it's to be judged by Scripture. Yeah. But I do think the Lord gives us certain things, and I, I've shared with people in our church about how in 2020, man, I was struggling, and and a guy gave me a word at a pastor's conference where he said, Clay, you're up in Manchester, Kentucky, and you're wondering how am I going to have the resources to do what God's called me to do because I was really doubting, man, like God's ability to do anything here in Clay County. And he said, if you will just simply commit to what I've called you to do in that area— he said, I will send you resources from the outside and I will be your resource because you have a church there that God has called his hand is upon. 
and I've sent you there uh, to, to break down the strongholds of religion in that area so that people can come to a real relationship with Jesus Christ and be filled with his spirit to advance the kingdom of God, something of that nature, right? Yeah. And so I, I committed, and what I saw was God start bringing these resources in. And, 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 and then just the other day, man, we're praying and we're fasting, and a guy comes up out of nowhere, and, and, he, and he says, you know, I feel like I've got a word for you, and I just want to share it, and you can, you can weigh it and see what you think. But, but he says... Uh, you know, he he said some personal things to me yeah. uh, about seeking the Lord and how the Lord viewed what was going on. But then he said, he said, he said, I believe the Lord's done with lukewarmness in this area, and 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 that and that what's going to happen is God's going to close the door on some lukewarm leaders and pastors in some lukewarm churches. And he says, what you're going to find if you're open to it is that there's going to be explosive growth here because people are hungry for the true, the true things of God and the true things of the Spirit. And as, as you press into what God is leading you into, and God had personally been leading me into some things and some things that I feel like we need to do as a church. He says, as you press into that, for every one that leaves and disagrees, there'll be ten more that come. And, you know, we had even been... We'd even been filled up uh, in some of these services, and we're sitting here thinking about two services, which really isn't that big of a deal, right? Uh, but yeah. but as I sit and think about it, like I have my own concerns about it. It's like, well, if we go to two services, one of them will be empty, and it won't be as good, and the house won't be packed, and, and all this stuff. But I, but I really have continued to feel God saying, I need you all to take a step of faith to create more room and space for what I want to do because there are so many people that are broken and need salvation and need healing and need deliverance. And I'm not looking for a big audience. I'm looking for an army. Like, I, I need you to, to make space, Clay, and I need you to equip the people so that they understand that this is not about them being able to come to church and listen and have a good church service, but it's about them being equipped so that I can reach more people in this community. Yeah. And we have to lay down what we selfishly want or what we think is right or what we think makes good church for the fact that God wants to reach people. And so I'm sitting there wrestling with that, and it was almost like I was laying into my bed one night, and the Spirit of God was on me. And, it, and it, it was a Kairos moment where the Lord is challenging me and almost inviting me saying, will you take a step of faith and believe that I want to use you and this people in that church to really reach southeastern Kentucky in a greater way than you've ever imagined? That I don't just want the status quo, that I don't just want to maintain what you're doing, but I want you to equip an army because yeah. I want to see people saved, set free, healed, delivered, transformed so that something can really take place in this area. And it yeah. just, and, and here's the thing. I don't come up with stuff like that. I'm not a hype man, but I felt an invitation from the Holy Spirit to say, will you take a step of faith in this area? And so there's those Kairos moments where you need to be sensitive to what God is saying. And then you need to act in obedience. And right now, see, I'm in the process of, of trying to act in obedience and, and slowly and patiently following what I believe God is saying in this area. Yeah. But 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 my point is this, you know, even even when it comes to this church and what God wants to do in it, I never do anything just because I think it's a good idea. I'm thoughtful and prayerful, and I try to really follow what what is God what does God want? Because I learned long ago, it's got nothing to do with what I want or what I think will work or what I think is good. It's got everything to do with what God is asking us to do. Yeah, and we want to be obedient to that. Amen. Does that <laughs> fires me up? It's encouraging. But uh, all that being said, you're going to have many different Kairos moments. Sure. And 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 so. You, you take the moment when God is speaking to you 
to to stop and listen and observe and reflect and 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 say, okay, God, I hear what you're saying, and and I I, I get it, but I, but I need to repent at this time, and then I, and then you start to make a plan. And you start to share that you share that with other people, just like I've shared that with you right now. Yeah. You know, God shared with us, Jeremy, that we needed to pray and fast and 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 put in times of regular prayer. Mm-hmm. And like we have to hold one another accountable to do things like that. Yeah. And then you have to act on it. But those always lead to moments where God breaks in and everything changes. Yes. And that's what we want to see. Yes. Yes, and amen. Amen. Well. Good stuff. Yeah. I hope you're blessed by it this week, guys. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you on the next one.